Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Peter, welcome to the Startup Stories podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. So there's going to be some people that don't know who you are. So for the listeners... Could you give them a brief introduction? Yes, of course. So I'm Peter. I'm from Germany. I'm originally a developer. I was doing software development also in parallel to my studies. Projects became bigger. So I founded my first company out of university. It was a software development company. But over over time, I thought, okay, so I also want to do more. And especially also kind of like got into this entrepreneurial mindset. So like starting companies is a lot of fun working with, with the people that you that you like, bring them in and uh, build great products. Uh, so I um, decided to move to Berlin eight years ago, joined the company builder, and this company builder happened to build fintech startups um, in, in focus. So that was my segue into the finance world. So where I never thought I would ever end up. So especially during university times, um, so when we had like economic topics, I would say that's what, this was not my, my favorite because it was uh, not much technical. But yeah, so things change in, in your life. So I got into the finance industry and was able to join Solaris Bank in, in the founding team. So we, we built up a, a bank from the scratch. And this was the first fintech startup getting a banking license in, in Germany. And I was their CTO for the first three and a half years, but also got into the crypto and blockchain ecosystem pretty early. Also just from this idea kind of, um, so if you, people can hold their bank in the pocket, so why are we still working on a bank? So what's what's it all about and what you can do with it um, from inside a bank? Um, so this was my my research theory, but I, I really fell into the rabbit hole and uh, wanted to work full-time in it. And long story short, uh, then uh, built up a, a kind of a digital asset trading exchange for Börse Stuttgart, which is a like, regional stock exchange from, from Germany. And for the past two years, we're building up Unstoppable Finance with our product Ultimate, and we want to bring DeFi to the masses. Thank you for the introduction. And, uh, you know, looking at your, your resume on LinkedIn, you've had quite the experience with uh, different startups that you've been, as you mentioned, the founding partner of, which is really interesting. But so that's why I want to sort of unwire all of uh, your journey and uh, understand why you became who you have become today. So can you think back to your earliest memory from your childhood? What, what comes to mind? Oh, that's a very good question. My whole family also were entrepreneurs. So starting with my with my grandfather, which I actually never met. So like with really with like a like a conscious mind. So this uh, must have been before I was three years old. But he was already running like uh, different companies in the in the logistics industry. And uh, so my uh, my father and um, his brothers also got in into like entrepreneurship very early. And so I think this. Uh, at least uh, gave me some some influence from the very early days. And whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in, in like near Düsseldorf, which is a city in, in Western Germany. Okay, what was life like there? 
Life was was pretty good, I would say. The city I I grew up in is like a tiny town with uh, 50,000 citizens, but um, kind of very close to the very populated areas in in Northern Westphalia, kind of in in, in Western Germany. So it was uh, kind of like on the land side so that you had kind of like the benefits of the land side. But at the same time, you were able to be like in Düsseldorf city center in 10 minutes, in Cologne, like in half an hour, in this uh, Ruhr area, kind of like this the, the biggest kind of like concentration of cities in, in Germany that was also only about like 10-15 minutes um, by car so uh, it was a pretty good um, area to, to grow up because you kind of had both so you had kind of the whatever like uh, like the, the sweetness of living on the land but so if you wanted to have city life you could go to the city. Yeah that's a nice little benefit having both of them. How would you describe yourself as a child? Well I think that as a child I was very very calm very silent so i kind of um, when people were talking to me i turned like red like a traffic light in, in my <laughs> in my head but uh, over time i learned kind of to to open up okay throughout your life can you think especially in your younger days can you think of any big influences whether that's a person or a situation or a moment in your life yeah so i was always pretty curious and um, i was reading a lot of books uh, but um, not uh, kind of no story books um, it was more about like uh, books to learn something whatever about history and about technology and, and so on and uh, my, my parents were pretty open to i got like very very little pocket money so I, I kind of like if i wanted to have a book that was kind of like always always for free and therefore I really took took the benefit from like reading a lot of stuff and uh, knowing about a lot of stuff and I was always interested in exploring and um, when uh, I got into the into into the high school like at the fifth grade so I, I came into a class where people already had uh, computers yeah that there were like two people already having a, a PC kind of like in the very early days and um, so what what year this must have been so I think this must have been like around 1990 or 1989 or something so this was pretty pretty early so kind of like after the first year any one of the boys had a computer somewhere like in, in reach and we were like deconstructing and uh, gaming and, and so on and I think this influence was very important also to take this direction into like information technology and learning to code and um, kind of like growing up with a computer at, at those days has definitely not been kind of the normal. Mm -hmm. When did your interest for finance and entrepreneurship come into your life? Yeah, so I, I think for me, it came like in, in baby steps, but like in a continuous way. So like I mentioned, I, I got like a very, very little pocket money. So which means that um, especially when you get like like in the teenager ages and you, whatever you want to buy something, I had to start working very, very early and whatever, delivering the newspapers. And um, so I worked in like a, in an auction house, kind of like presenting the pictures and um, uh, and helping like with administrative stuff there and uh, gave like math teaching and, uh, and whatever, teaching people music instruments and so on. So I was like always very active in, in finding ways to finance myself. And I think this over time, then kind of like when, when coding came into the life, then whatever you talk to people, hey, I do coding and then people tell you hey we need something can you build us whatever database for something and then you kind of develop yourself into doing that stuff and uh, so I never had a plan kind of so in three years I want to be an entrepreneur and uh, run my own business I kind of it happened 
through these all these baby steps that I got into the situation. And uh, maybe the main influence uh, where I definitely would would say that it had had an impact was simply that um, kind of that there was a need. Yeah, so I, I wanted whatever to buy something. I bought my my first electric guitar with money that I earned myself, and uh, that's. Uh, also, like that electric guitar, I still own it, and uh, it's still fun because I know that there was like my sweat flowing into it, so that I was able to buy it. Mm-hmm. We see entrepreneurship all around us every single day, but not everybody is influenced by it, and more so want to pursue it. But what was it about the idea of entrepreneurship that got you hooked to the point where you actually wanted to pursue it? Well, so so I think that there, there was, um, like I described in the very early days, simply the demand. Yeah. So I, if you want to buy something and you don't have the money, there's like two options: you you can steal, or you um, <laughs> or you can get the money from somewhere and earn it. Uh, and I took the second option, and um, so it became for me totally natural to work like in a in a freelance way and to kind of um, have jobs and take a responsibility to find jobs and so on and uh, and also be creative. Like um, so I taught myself guitar and I wouldn't say that I was like the John Frusciante <laughs> kind of uh, the, the, the best player in the world. But if you're like already a little bit better than kind of the people you teach, you, you can give lessons, right? So this is like you, you can share the knowledge and earn a little bit um, uh, on top from, from that. And, and that was uh, exactly what, what, what was happening. And, uh, and in the end, this, this kind of like continued, like then you do, you do coding, there's other people who can't code. All right, so you can help them, you can build something for them. And so through all my studies, uh, kind of the, the projects became bigger. And, and then, of course, I wanted to, to work on those bigger projects, but I needed to have helping hands with me. Like I needed to build a team around me that led into the, into the first founding. Can you remember, whether it's successful or not, can you remember your very first business idea and what was it? Well, so the one that I just described um, was simply like doing services. So we we were kind of like coding for money. So we, we helped people to build to, to build their digital products. Like it was around 2008 when we founded the first company. And in the end, it was bootstrapped, which definitely also brings its own impacts. And uh, it's also kind of a very interesting experience in, in the beginning of a career to, to bootstrap something and elaborate on that also a little bit later but yeah so so first business ideas so i think there was like all the time there have been ideas around me so that uh, that i wrote into my idea book that most of them i I didn't build but the one i had very early and where i was a little bit sad uh, afterwards that i was not building it was um, building a password safe because um okay so this, uh, as when we worked in this um, in the software development company, we've seen like a lot of clients and and people around us who were struggling like whatever with hey so can you send me the the database password and then people were sending this via email or SMS or whatever and like especially whatever fifteen years ago or twenty years ago people did not care like about security this was just like yes of course I can tell you here this is like on my uh, note <laughs> like that I put on my on my screen. Or something like that. So that there was uh, kind of like, uh, and we thought like this is not right. Yeah. So like passwords are, are secret. Yeah. And they need to be treated in a secret way. And you need to rotate them. And you need to develop like certain processes around that. And so I thought, hey, so to have like a team password safe that would be a great idea. And I think whatever three years later there were one password and LastPass and, and all these all these companies. And uh, but I think so like well, but what's the what's the gist? So the gist is I always had ideas that were around solving a problem. 
And that this is kind of like, so people don't share passwords in the right way and this causes risk. Okay, so there's like a solution for that problem. And many things that I discovered over the past 20 years uh, followed that, that analogy kind of, is there a problem? Yes. Okay, let's solve it. And if you solve it and it's worth something, then people will pay for that. What were the biggest lessons that you learned from your first business idea then with this password safe? It's very, very important. Of course, like ideas are nothing. Yeah, so you can be proud about like having ideas, but building them and really bringing them to market. So that's um, that's the main thing. So the, the only thing that, that counts. And from my, from my first founding, I think like the positive lesson was uh, that I... Um, kind of like really to bootstrap something is like a very interesting way to build something up because it really forces you to be profitable and kind of like you are very, very close to your business and uh, to product market fit. And uh, so it's, it's way different compared to being financed by investors and whatever kind of uh, which require you to have product market fit in three years and whatever. So this like like bootstrapping is, is a very, very nice nice founding experience kind of to really learn it the hard way and also kind of like whatever not paying you a salary and just like being very 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 <laughs> very close to the to the edge and just saying like okay so i really believe in that we continue and then kind of it turns out you you get the revenues and build up the company and things are working so it's like a very very nice feeling maybe on the, on the downside i think um, what i what i learned from my first project is really you need to have a balanced founding team this was uh, mainly the, the reason why i also decided to move on that uh, I didn't have the impression that me and my co-founder were like married forever. Yeah, so this this mm. worked like it was impossible to bring up this company and make it work. But uh, in the end, after a few years, I realized that the founder fit was not given and uh, that I was like more and more frustrated about that. And uh, so then I decided, okay, so even think for like getting the first employees and getting the, the first projects, building the first projects and so on, I had a very, very big chunk kind of like of making it work and therefore still like even like decades after people still talk to me like hey you founded this oh wow so we know it and uh, whatever people invite me to give speeches about, about that so still um, even like years ago i'm still recognized as, as kind of like the core force behind it but yeah so it was uh, so it really taught me like, okay, so you, you need to work on the founder fit and you also kind of, you, you need to figure it out in, in the beginning, but also you need to work on it like continuously so that uh, you learn to bring up difficult topics from the very beginning and that you're able to talk about that. It's a little bit like, like a marriage. Yeah. So uh, if you don't learn to talk about the hard things, uh, you potentially don't get happy like forever. Absolutely. And um, with regards to your mindset and the way you speak about entrepreneurship, as you always say, it's about for you, it's about solving a problem always has been. Where did you get this mindset from? Or was it like what you said, baby steps? Or was there someone that gave you, you know, had the biggest influence on you to think this way or learn this way? So like many, many things that I also describe and, and talk about I mostly found out by myself I, I would say kind of that uh, so I, I always reflect what's what's going on and what's kind of like working and so on so this uh, this kind of many things kind of like develop like grow in, inside of me and become kind of outspoken for me when I really re realized kind of like that uh, that these these theories um, work in a way and therefore so also I don't read much whatever business books and so on or whatever books of uh, famous founders and so on and so forth so this is like a little bit boring so I think you, you get like the interesting aspects anyway from somewhere but yeah so I I don't have idols 
Maybe the biggest influence that I got also when reading such a business book was uh, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, because kind of like this really hit the nail for me also kind of when it comes like product market fit and um, to how to build up a, a company and do like be very pragmatic in the beginning and test your theories with the market and so on. So I think this really so was enlightening to me. But other than that, I don't really remember books that I read that got me to the next level. So I'm really interested to try and understand how you think, Peter. So, you know, I, I can go off how I think, but maybe you think slightly differently. So you was at your previous, I'm looking at your previous work. And then all of a sudden in April 2021, it says that you, you started Unstoppable Finance, right? So when it comes to ideas, for example, so if I, if I was thinking from my perspective, you know, I'm always thinking of ideas and then it just, there's a certain thought process that you have where you think, you know what, this one can actually work. Let's turn this one to reality. So I'm curious to get inside your head when you're, I mean, you sound like someone that's always thinking of ideas. How do you decide that out of all the ideas that you're constantly thinking about, that this is the one, this can work, this can happen? Talk to me about that, how that comes into fruition. Yeah, so in the situation with Unstoppable Finance and Start Building Ultimate, this was really seeing decentralized finance to become a, a flywheel like uh, two years, two and a half, three years ago. So as I, as I mentioned, I got into the blockchain space pretty early, like uh, around 2016. And um, kind of especially when you, when you, it was like before the hype. So kind of like you get the theory and you build up your mind kind of like where things might move. And I was constantly thinking on how could like a different finance system look like? Yeah. So like a, maybe like with fewer intermediaries with uh, maybe still banks involved, but in different roles and uh, like new technology introduced. I'm also constantly talking about kind of like the internet of money. Yeah. So, so where is it? So we have um, like a global information system with the internet where we can access information globally for the past 30 years. But we don't have a finance system that works the way. So like making a transaction usually stops like at the borders of Europe and then you need to have like swift correspondence bank systems or PayPal or like other intermediary solutions. But we don't have like something comparable to the internet for the finance world. And um, with um, public permissionless blockchains, I kind of found for myself the first technical implementation that could bring us to this level so that we're able to wire transactions globally in a way where kind of so also comparable to the internet like the internet is not owned by anyone yeah so you could say there's maybe different companies and associations owning certain parts of it whatever like i can do domains and there's like whatever the router producers uh, and there's whatever the uh, web server producers and so on, but still kind of like the internet is not owned by anyone. It's like a set of open standards. So that's what, from my point of view, what we also need for the finance world so that people can transact like in, in the network on a free basis, like without asking anyone for permission. And if somebody offers a financial service to somebody, this is offered by a company, by a DAO or by a certain, certain group of people in a specific technical way. And this is kind of like what, what I discovered for myself, like in the very, in a very, very early time. And when we realized that like with MakerDAO, with Uniswap and, and all these all these projects, that it became reality that people were building on top of permissionless blockchains, financial service solutions that you would like find on other ways, like also in the traditional finance uh, finance space, but it, like in a much more automated way, in a much more technical way, in a much more global way. We were thinking like, hey, so this is the time now also to um, to get involved in, in the space and uh, 
in consequence, we quit our jobs at the stock exchange company where we were working at Börse Stuttgart and decided to build up Unstoppable Finance from the scratch. And especially when looking at the crypto space, it has always been like very, very, very niche. Yeah. So the, the very, very technical and especially the DeFi world, like if you go on the website, the day to day mass user doesn't understand the word. Yeah. So because it's it's like very, very niche to these people who really know how this works and who really like anticipate what others are doing. And um, so we wanted to make it much more easy and uh, and therefore decided to to build kind of like a like a front end to access this whole new world that we offer to anyone and especially also to to mass audience people. Yeah, and this was this was kind of our, our first start. And um, a couple of months or a couple of weeks ago, we um, then made like a second announcement that we're going to start a second company now. And um, the the reasoning behind it is also we want to bring DeFi and decentralized finance to the masses. And from our point of view, there is one very interesting development now coming towards us. This is um, like with the Mika regulation in, in Europe. There is like a common rules that introduced not only for crypto services, but also for issuing stablecoins. And stablecoin, from my point of view, is a very fascinating product because it combines, let's say, the best of both worlds. So there's like the stable value of a governmental currency, like the euro or like US dollar, but it's tokenized. So it's kind of brought on, on the blockchain so that you can wire it on the blockchain in real time in a global way. And you can build on top of that, you can you can code it, you can use it in DeFi, you can make it programmable. Also with our experience, like in building up a bank, building up a, a asset trading MTF in Germany. So we're pretty familiar also with this regulated world. So we said, okay, so let's use the opportunity and build up another company and uh, found found the bank again. So you started the company in 2021. What does a startup need to do right in order to make sure they have a successful start? So it starts with the founder fit. So like I mentioned earlier, so you need to have like a very balanced group of people. Also, of course, as broad as possible, also that we, that you can cover all the different topics that you, that you need from the very beginning. So you don't want to step on, on each other's feet when you start building something up. And I think you need to have an ability to hire the right people for your team. And um, so to me, also when, when looking back to all the companies that built up so far, was always the the key principle to get in the best people and especially people that are like-minded and that click very easy together and um, can form a team very, very quickly. And over time, I, of course, met a lot of people from different sectors, not only engineers, um, also kind of like in, in all areas of, of a business. And in the end, with Unstoppable, we managed pretty well to get like a, in like a very short time, really, really cool people into the company that like started clicking and building a culture uh, kind of like from, from the first day onward so that we as founders were able to also delegate a lot of uh, responsibility because um, so what, what I also always find important is founders, of course, need to ramp things up in the very beginning. But over time, like especially when, when being a leader, it's your responsibility to work in the future. Yeah, so so kind of like, and, and uh, I think the the hard process for many founders is to separate from working in the in the present and kind of like doing everything yourself versus working in the future by delegating all the kind of like stuff that needs to be finished in the in the present by delegating it to a team members and trusting them that they can do it the same way as you can do. And the things so that this process is um, is more easy, the better you know the people and uh, the better they are. And most of the people that we hire are smarter than us. 
Yeah, so they they know like their their topic and their field much better than we do, and this makes it then very easy to delegate and to uh, also empower them to to drive their mission inside the company and also make it theirs because um, of course we're the founders but um, for us it's very important that the company is not only owned by us it's also owned by each of the team members that we have in place that's a really good point you make because i've seen this come up a number of times the whole subject around being able to let go and delegate it's a problem that i faced a few years ago where you do everything yourself and you really not saying you know I thought I knew it all but uh when you can see yourself doing the work you you know that there's you know if you make a mistake it was your mistake so there is that difficulty that I know that a lot of founders find in letting go and trusting someone else to do it so firstly how do you overcome that and secondly what would you say is the best way to manage that as well. So like, you know, if you want to delegate, how do you keep that fine line of, I still want to be able to see what they're doing, but don't want to be micromanaging them at the same time? Yeah, so I think each manager has their own way of doing things. And uh, so there, I think naturally there are people who do more micromanagement and there are people who do less micromanagement. I'm probably on the very extreme side of doing less micromanagement because I feel very comfortable, especially when I know the people very well or me, we have worked together in the past so that I, that I'm really able to, to let them go and also let them build their ideas. Because also what I, what I learned in engineering is um, there is like always whatever seven ways of building something. Yeah. So whatever, like to choose a certain architecture to whatever name, everything and, and so on. And, but usually all of these seven ways solve the problem in a feasible way. But if you kind of like force people to do your way, they're usually less motivated to, to do this. So therefore, so I developed for myself kind of, yeah, like these, these, these check marks that, so I want to know like what solutions are there. So if like a, like a team member has a solution, which maybe is not mine, but where I still believe that, that, that this can work, then I, I let let the person do this. And that just install kind of like guide rails for something, whatever it's not, uh, so not, not, not choose like uh, too many technologies and uh, kind of stay pragmatic and kind of first build like a proof of concept. And then, then we can see how things turn out so that we can still change our minds and fail fast and, and cheap. So that's kind of like how I do this. So to set the guide rails, to also name very clearly when I want to be involved. Yeah, so there's, for example, like topics around security or so, so where I always want to, to be involved and where I have like, very, like a more strong opinion. And because this also then translates to you being a managing director and taking also legal responsibility. Yeah, so this is kind of, um, you, you need to tell the people when you want to be involved. And uh, if you have these, uh, these these callbacks, when they, they know like, okay, so now I need to inform and then you have like an ad hoc meeting that works pretty well. Yeah, I really like that. It's a very, very good point to analyze that if you don't allow them to do it in their way, they'll be demotivated. I didn't really look at it like that, but it makes total sense for sure. How do you make sure that they're able to do it their way, but also make sure that the way they are doing it is efficient, for example. Yeah, so this, of course, requires some observation. So, for example, in, in Unstoppable, we we work with um, like very short iterations. So we have like a 
ongoing roadmap what we wanted want to build but it's more like on a on an epic space so that we plan it like every three months so that we know like what are the topics we want to work on and in like the consequence like of each of these planning cycles there needs to be a release and in the end so if we figure out okay so the like the feature is too big or we need to split it up and we or we need to involve other teams then we can adjust and then weave in and uh, and say like okay so is this working the, uh, is this going in the right direction or do we need to change something and of course there's always also like a form of delegation so i have an amazing kind of tech lead or director engineering and the company is, uh, is an amazing person that i also know from many projects from the past so we kind of split up our role especially on the technical part that i'm more like on the future so kind of like giving giving a certain direction but also taking responsibilities and in, in running the whole company and yeah for example now kicking off this bank project and being kind of the whatever entrepreneur in residence uh, building this up on the side but there's like always then somebody who's then also like close to the present being able to to observe and to react if something if something uh needs attention yeah it sounds like the key word there is trust trusting your, each other really okay so you're almost two and a half years now deep with unstoppable finance has there been any hurdles along the way where you've like thought oh my god we've nearly nearly lost it all yeah so of course so it's, it's two years now more or less um, like on the date so of course we have been surprised by the macroeconomic developments around us so there was the ukraine war starting up there has been um, also some shake-ups in the in the blockchain industry so with ftx and celsius and um, and so on which in the end also kind of like let at least like, and also like seeing ai as the most important tech topic popping up in the meanwhile so kind of like blockchain got like less attention than it got whatever two or three years ago that's definitely something that what we faced but still we've seen these developments in the in the blockchain industry now for many years and it's, it's always this like roller coaster kind of like that there's whatever like a new hype then there's uh, like the the valley of sadness afterwards and like the the winter and then it kind of like there's like the, the next technology coming up and kind of like triggering the, the next hype and always like in these winter times whatever the the hype people got kind of like whatever flushed out and whatever now jumping on ai and <laughs> whatever trying to fool people over there with their ideas and that's the that has always been very giving like a, like a like a positive feeling if you realize that there's only builders in this in the space anymore and just like really intending to to build like the next the next wave of innovation in a technology sense and i think this is now what's going to happen so there's like less there's activity on on the market side there's not so many new users coming into the space but there's a lot of uh, groundbreaking technology being built right now and that's uh, kind of uh, now also also us with building building this infrastructure with the wallet but also with the bank that uh, can become like a very important um, backend infrastructure for for many many companies in the industry what's been the highlight for you with your career at uh Unstoppable finance. I think the highlight for me personally is that we get recognized so much from the industry and get like a lot of um, that of feature and attention. So that um, also let's say the the traditional finance world and um, for example, I got invited into like advisory group of Ministry of Finance in, in Germany. So I'm I'm part of like 40 people and there's like 
board members of uh, DAX companies and like the big banks and insurance companies and so on. It's like, if you find a way into into such groups, this is also some implicit feedback that you do the right things and that you maybe hit the right tone and you have the uh, potentially also a very realistic view on the world and people want to want to hear that and want to learn from you. I think so this is very uh, yeah, it gives, gives me like a, a very, very, very positive feeling that we gain more influence and that we're also able to to shape the, the world we're living in. Because um, like the finance world has always been regulated, will always be regulated and for, for good reason. But still kind of with the technology that we have at, at our hands right now, we can build something really groundbreaking. And uh, and that's uh, that's our mission. Absolutely. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, so... Just over two years now. What's the long-term goals from here on out then, Peter, for Ultimate? Yeah, so for, for Ultimate, really becoming the digital companion for anyone when it comes to like finance and beyond. Because with a wallet, it's, it's a very universal technology. You can manage your funds and um, you can manage access to, you, to, your, to your funds. You can invest. And um, there's a lot of projects now building like reward assets for like on, on top of the blockchain so that uh, people can whatever buy houses and um, real estate and um, stocks, securities, and, and uh, also like classical instruments that have uh, less volatility than the cryptocurrencies but then also kind of like what comes beyond DeFi, for example in the web3 that i have a digital identity that i can lock in through my wallet and authenticate certain transactions get a rental car and so on it's i think it's all these these use cases that will be built into into wallets in the in the future and where like the wallet becomes your key app that that you're using uh, using multiple times every day to do something in, in the digital world and that's the direction that we see for the for the long term for a wallet like ultimate but yeah so it's also about building bridges to that future and in that sense we see like stable coins as uh, i would say the the first reward asset that will ever hit the masses from the crypto industry because it really enables people to do payments on a global global scale in real time on like public infrastructure so we see stable coins and the business that we're building up also as one very important bridge to really uh, kind of get to to the, to the mass audience and bring the mass audience into into the space. What gives you the the fire to still keep pursuing what you do day in day out? Because many would argue, you know, you've started up many successful business. I'm sure you've done really well. Why do you keep doing what you do? I always say, like in fun, so I I can't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to me, it's simply it's simply fun. So it's uh, it's like the most interesting thing, like about whatever creating success is really the way of creating success. So kind of like really building it. So when you start a new business and you don't have an idea, you don't have people, you don't have money, you don't have a product, you don't have IP. So, so kind of like you you start from zero. So this is like a very comfortable situation for me. So this is, um, kind of like really taking these pragmatic decisions and just like bringing it on and making like a wheel out of all the tiny pieces that you have in front of you. This is what is simply fun fun to me. And in the end, as, as I'm, I'm still interested in, in, in many things and uh, observe the world and try to find problems. In the end, uh, so this will keep you building things. And that's, uh, that's kind of, this makes you, makes you alive, right? Yeah, absolutely. Stay curious for sure. Okay, so last question then. You know, there'll be many people listening to this within my network that are perhaps on the fence with an idea, but they just 
haven't got the courage yet to, to pursue it? What, what's one bit of advice you give to someone like that? Yeah, so I gave that advice in, in the past also to, to a few people. I know it's very, very high level, but I, I always encourage people to just do it. Yeah, so it's the it's Nike claim, I know, but uh, but I think it's, it's just so if people are 50-50 about like, hey, should I do this? Uh, am I right? What if? And, and so on. You will never find out if you won't do it. Yeah. So, so you have to, you have to just do it and try it out. And for myself, I always think like, like in, in terms of when taking decisions. So when I take too much time for taking a decision, like the outcome already gets like worse, like, because it's, it's, it's like a, whatever mathematical linear equation system. So where you kind of like one of the side conditions is like the more time you take on a decision, the worse it gets because kind of, yeah, so you lose time to fail cheaper and faster and usually also you don't come into the benefits of like really bringing it on and building something up so therefore i try to to take as many decisions as fast as possible so if i feel confident i say like okay so i i'm ending now like with my research and i can't get more information to kind of like lower the risk of being wrong so then it's like about okay now taking the decision and, and doing it and i think this is what people need to learn it's like having a dream and uh, and being confident that there's like a chance for that then start doing it, talk to people, get in other opinions, make sure that it's not only you liking the idea under the shower. So it's uh, it's really about um, talking to others. They won't steal your idea. Yeah. So also like a very ongoing myth. So like, no, it's, I've never heard about somebody stealing an idea from somebody else because it's about the execution. So talk to others, get the feedback and um, make yourself like more confident for your undertaking. And um, if you get that support, then really just do it. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Thank you very much, Peter. Really enjoyed hearing all about your journey with uh, Unstoppable Finance and looking forward to, to seeing where you take it next. So yeah, thank you. Thanks uh, so much for inviting me. It was, was big fun. My pleasure, Peter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.